Everyone knows that famous song, Amazing Grace. I read recently that uh, people estimate that this song is, is sung over 10 million times every year. I mean, just think about that. Over 10 million times every year, people sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Have you ever sung those words and thought to yourself, what does that really mean? I mean, to, to, that grace teaches our heart to fear? Well, let me tell you what it meant to John Newton, the man who originally wrote those words back in 1773. I recently read his really fascinating biography, and I really would recommend it to any of you who enjoy history and biography. Uh, before John Newton surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, he lived a pretty wild life. At one point, he was an atheist. At one point, he was actually the, the captain of a slave trading ship. And then one day, it dawned on him that, that he would eventually have to stand before an almighty God, the awesomely holy, majestically sovereign God. And he would have to give an account for his life for every act of disobedience. And that thought caused him great fear. Now, we've really been saying in this series that that kind of fear is, is really a good thing, that we should all fear God standing before him one day, uh, fear standing before an awesomely holy, majestically sovereign, perfectly righteous God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and Hebrews 9.27 puts it in even more stark terms. It says, man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. The Bible is clear. We will all one day stand before this holy God as our judge, and that should cause us to fear. So what did John Newton do with this fear? Well, he allowed his fear to motivate him to look for a solution to his sin crisis. Maybe there would be a savior out there somewhere who could rescue him. And, and someone introduced him to Jesus. Someone told him, if, if you'll surrender your, your life to Jesus Christ, his death on the cross will pay the penalty for your sin and his resurrection from the dead will give you the power to live a changed life. So John Newton surrendered his life to Christ. And from that point on, as he grew to know Christ, every, every time he looked back to the beginning of his spiritual journey, he recognized that it was fear that launched him in the right direction, the fear of standing before a holy God at judgment. I want to say to you this morning, unless you fear God, you will miss out on the greatest blessing that he has to offer you. That's the blessing of salvation. If you don't fear the prospect of standing before a holy God, it's really easy to just write the whole thing off and not take it seriously, don't, never to really think much about who Jesus claims to be, never surrender your life to him, and thus never experience the blessing of, of salvation. You see, fear leads to the experience of God's blessing. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about four additional blessings that God reserves for those who fear him. If you fear God, you can experience these four things. But if you don't fear God, then you won't. Now, if you're not already there, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. And this is actually in the middle of your Bible. And you'll want to take your message notes out because there are four blessings that we're going to talk about. I think you want in your life. 
We're going to look at four different psalms today, and psalms is a great place to learn about who God really is, and I've told you that's how we learn to fear him. We, we learn who God is as he reveals himself to be in his word, and psalms is a great place where we learn why it's important to fear him. Uh, earlier, I, I told you the Bible speaks of fearing God over 150 times, and it's in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. There's a lot of references to fearing God, particularly we'll see in the book of Psalms. Uh, one of my favorites is Psalm 147, 11, where it says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So God delights in people who fear him. Now, I just want to do a quick check, survey here. Who, who would like for God to delight in them? I just want to see what our crowd's like this morning that looks pretty much like everybody. I, we all want you know, God's delight, right? Well, you can be sure if God delights in you that he's going to bless your life. And so therefore, it's a call to fear him. I want to tell you about four kinds of blessing that God gives to people who fear him. First of all, in Psalm 34, where we're starting, uh, we will see the blessing of God's provision. So God provides for people who fear him. I want to begin reading in verse 8 of Psalm 34. And as I read these few verses to you, underline in your Bible or in your notes each time we see that word fear. David the psalmist writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. And saints is just a term for God's people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Do you see it? Each time the, the psalmist connects fearing God to the blessing of God's provision. In verse 9, he says, those who fear the Lord lack nothing. In verse 10, he says, they lack no good thing. So if Fearing God is the key that opens the treasure chest of God's provision for us, then we probably should figure out how we can do that, right? I mean, how do you fear God? Well, we've jumped right into the middle of Psalm 34. Let me read some other verses in Psalm 34 that help us see how we fear God. And, and as I read these verses, see if you can spot the recurring theme. The first one is verse 4, which says, I sought the Lord. And he answered me. And then drop down to verse 6. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. Go down farther toward the end of the psalm. Verse 15 says, the, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17 says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. Did you see the recurring, repeating idea? What activity seems to accompany fearing God? The, the person who fears God in these verses, they do what? Well, they pray. Look at the verbs, sought, called, cries out. The, the person who fears God prays. So prayer is the, the key that unlocks the provision of God. I'll, I'll say it this way. When we pray, we demonstrate that we fear God. Fearing God leads to prayer. It's a natural thing. It just follows. And so if the person who fears God prays, what does it mean if we don't pray? Well, it means, at least in that moment, it means that we're not fearing God. Why do we neglect to pray? 
Well, part of not fearing God is that we think that we're self-sufficient. We like to think that we can take care of ourselves. And, you know, maybe if it's something really, really big, then we'll, we'll go to God. But otherwise, we'll cover our own needs. You ever notice that in your life? You know, you don't really ask God for anything as you're just kind of rolling along. And then something big happens. A big problem arises. And all of a sudden, you want to pray. And you haven't even bothered to talk to God for a long time. See, we think we're self-sufficient. We can take care of our own needs because there's kind of this thing about us We don't like to admit that we have needs. Anybody for honesty this morning want to say, yeah, that's right? (laughs) There we go. You know, I I, I think about sometimes how we will talk to one another about the problems in our life. And there are certain problems that we're all kind of free to share. You know, they're not good things, but we're willing to admit we struggle with this. or We're willing to admit we struggle with that. In my life, I've been a pastor for a long time now. I've never heard someone say, you know, my real problem is that I'm just so needy. (laughs) No one wants to say that. No one wants to be a needy, needy, needy person. Uh, How many of you have seen that movie, What About Bob? You remember that, 1991? (laughs) Comedy classic. Uh, Bob is played by Bill Murray, and, you know, he's just this great actor, and And Bob in this movie has all these phobias, all these neuroses. He goes to see a therapist, Dr. Leo Marvin, and and he begins to help Bob. And then Dr. Marvin has to go on family vacation, and he's gone, and Bob is desperate because he has needs. And he, he tracks Dr. Marvin down on his vacation, and they have this altercation you remember this, where he, he just says, gimme, 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 I have needs, 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 I have needs, I have needs, and no one wants to be like Bob. We don't want to have to depend on anyone else to meet our needs. But according to Psalm 34, the person who fears God has learned to pray many times a day, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I, I need you. See, James 4, 2 says the reason there are unmet needs in our lives is that we fail to ask God to provide. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you don't pray. And so Psalm 34 is just telling us God loves to provide for those who fear him. In verse 10, maybe you notice, says that even the lions, the kings of the jungle who can take whatever they want, whenever they want it, even they have unmet needs. Even they grow weak and hungry. So why are you covering up the fact that you have needs? See, part of fearing God is being free to admit that you have needs. And when you do that, you'll be quick to pray You'll ask God to provide for you, and God will bless you with his provision. Now, this this doesn't mean that God gives us whatever we want. It's true that sometimes God has a yes waiting for us. He's just waiting for us to pray, but that's not always the case. I heard someone say something really helpful about why God sometimes doesn't answer our our prayers. They, They said sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says slow, and sometimes God says grow. See, there are times when God just turns us down. There's just a flat no to our request because really 
God knows that our request is, is inappropriate. In the moment, it may not seem like that to us, but God knows what is best for us. Anybody here want to give a testimony that you are so grateful today about these many prayers in your past that God said no to? God did not answer, answer your prayer. I mean, we all can look back on things like that. Sometimes God says no, but sometimes he says slow. The request is fine, just the timing is wrong. God answers eventually, but it's maybe not exactly when we ask. And then sometimes the request may be right, and maybe there's no issue with the timing, but God knows we need to grow, and there may be something in our lives that needs to change or that needs to mature, maybe some sin that needs to be repented of, and God just says, I won't answer until you grow. In fact, In the second half of Psalm 34, multiple times the writer says that it's the righteous people who God answers. Verse 17 says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. So when you pray, make sure that you come to God and you confess the sin that's built up in your life. Make sure there's nothing that you should be doing that you're not doing or or something you shouldn't be doing that you are doing because God loves to answer with a yes, though sometimes he says no, slow, or grow. So I just want to ask you, what do you need today? A new job? Dependable child care, maybe? How about a, a good night's sleep? What about a car that doesn't keep breaking down? Maybe you need healing for your body or your mind. Maybe you would say, I need some customers. Maybe you just need a friend. Hear today the word of God that God loves to provide for those who fear him. There's a second blessing I want you to see that comes to those who fear God, and it's the blessing of God's protection. Now, I want you to just turn back One psalm to Psalm 33. Some of you won't even have to turn the page. And we're going to pick this one up also in the middle of the psalm, starting with verse 16. Verses 16 and 17 says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot stay. Now, stop there for a moment. This writer has figured something out we all need to know. And and there are a lot of dangers in our world we can't protect ourselves from. It doesn't matter how many resources you have. You have the biggest army in the world. You're a person of great strength, like a warrior, or you have a horse. You know, all those things, they won't save you. Have you ever stopped and considered all the different ways that we try to protect ourselves. We're very safety conscious in our culture, right? Kind of made a little list. This is just a fraction of things we could think about. You know, we take our vitamins. We wear bike helmets. We buy lots of insurance. We go to the doctor for annual checkups. If we're in legal trouble, we hire a lawyer. We have to keep on changing our passwords on our computers and our phones. We put fresh batteries in our smoke alarms. Some of us carry concealed weapons. I actually actually talked to someone this week who bought a taser on Amazon. 
And one of the things that occurred to me as I share this with you is that some of you are going to leave, and the only thing you're going to take from this sermon is, I can get a taser on Amazon. <laughs> like the list is just endless. We could add so many things to it. I, I heard a story. I'm not really sure this happened. This may be an urban legend, but I really hope it happened because this is a great story. Uh, there was this elderly lady who was uh, leaving the grocery store. Her arms were full of groceries. And she looks at the parking lot and she sees four young guys breaking into her car. She drops her groceries, reaches into her purse, pulls out a gun, this gun that she carries, waves it around in the air and says, I've got a gun and I know how to use it. And these four guys look up with terror and they run. They get away as fast as they can. Well, she gathers her groceries. She goes to the car, puts the groceries in the back seat, climbs in the front seat, puts the key in the ignition, and the key won't fit. Yeah. She realizes she has the wrong car. She looks around, and there's her car a few aisles over. So she gets her groceries, puts them in the right car, and as she climbs into her car, she decides maybe she should go to the police station and, you know, fess up and tell them what happened. And she gets to the police station. She walks in the front door. And at the counter of the police station, she sees four trembling young men giving a report about a crazy old lady with a gun. <laughs> We're not so good at protecting ourselves, are we? You know, there are a lot of dangers in this world that you just cannot protect yourself from. So what do you do? Well, let's keep reading. Verses 18 through 20 say, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death, to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So where does the the writer of Psalm 33 go to for protection. He, well, he goes to God. And, and who does God protect? And notice it's not a carte blanche uh, promise to everyone. Look, look at the promise in verse 18. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. So what does fearing God look like if you want to know the blessing of his protection? And we started this Psalm in the middle. Let's go back to the beginning and give us some context on what it means to fear God. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 33 reads like this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. See, in this, this psalm of protection, the psalmist says, if we want to experience the blessing of God's protection, we must Fear God. And how is fearing God expressed? Well, fearing God is expressed through worship. I want to tell you the backstory of Psalm 33. Now, you, you may know this, but many of the Psalms are written by King David. And whenever he's the author, it'll have his name at the top to tell us uh, of the Psalm. And at the top of Psalm 33, maybe you've already seen, there's no name. It's an anonymous Psalm. Bible scholars think that this psalm may have been written by another one of Israel's king. You say, well, why a king? Well, according to verse 16, as we read, this author says no king is saved by the size of his army. It kind of sounds like personal testimony, like there's a king who actually knows this personally. 
And so scholars have asked, well, what king would that be? And some of them have concluded it was probably King Jehoshaphat. Remember him? Jumping Jehoshaphat. Um, he, he ruled Israel's southern kingdom of Judah. And in the year 850 BC, he heard that a massive army was coming. This, this coalition of enemy countries coming his way, coming to devastate Judah. Now, King Jehoshaphat had a large army himself, but according to 2 Chronicles 20, the army coming his way was enormous. What should he do? Well, the king runs to the temple. He gets on his knees to pray, and he says, God, we need your protection. Tell us what to do. And God answers. <clears throat> God gives him some instructions, but they're kind of weird. They're kind of strange instructions. They're instructions no military strategist had ever come up with before. God tells King Jehoshaphat that as you take your army out, I want you to place at the front of the army, as you approach the enemy, some men who will be singing at the top of their lungs, singing praise, singing thanksgiving to God. In other words, God says, put the choir first. Now, sometimes when you read Old Testament stories, it helps if you have a good imagination. So can you imagine the generals coming to King Jehoshaphat and asking for his guidance and leadership as the king? Uh, king, oh king, when we go out to meet the enemy, who should we put out at the front this time? Should we put the archers first or maybe, maybe the cavalry or, or what about the infantry? And Jehoshaphat says, no, I think we should put the choir out front. And the generals say, uh, excuse me, king, who, who did you say we put at the front of the army? And Jehoshaphat says, the choir, you know, the tenors, the baritones, the basses. And when you put them out there, you are to have them sing at the top of their lungs. That's how we're going to approach the enemy. Sort of how I, I, I sort of imagine this scene kind of like this. I mean, you know, if Southwinds ever goes to war, I'm going to be biblical. I'm going to put Kevin in front. So, so this is what they do. They, 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 uh, they put the choir in front. They're singing praise to God. And we are told in the Bible that God stirs up confusion in the enemy ranks. The soldiers start turning on each other. They start killing each other off. And by the time Jehoshaphat's singing army meets the enemy, the enemy is dead on the ground. Now, they go back to Jerusalem, and when they do, they, they gather every instrument that they can. They head to the temple, and they have this huge time of praise and worship to God. People who fear God worship him. That tells us, among other things, if we want to experience the blessing of God in his protection, it may be a good idea to make a priority of worship, to set aside a day every week where we get together with other Christ followers, and we praise God for being the awesome, holy, majestic God that he is. It's something so good, so wonderful that it just has to be celebrated, celebrated in song, celebrated with other people. I mean, we need to worship privately, but that's not enough. Don't you know there's something, just something about being surrounded by hundreds of other people singing as we did today? And if you don't go to worship, you will miss the opportunity to sing words like, you are the everlasting God. You do not faint. You 
don't grow weary. You'll miss the opportunity to sing those words, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. See, we need to worship with God's people and celebrate his love and his grace. And some of us may be thinking, well, that's not really that big of a deal. Well, it sure seems to be a big deal to God. Go back to verse six of Psalm 33. After the psalmist tells us to praise God with music in the beginning, he gives us a topic that we can include in our praise. He extols God for his awesome power in creation. Verses six through nine say, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Fearing God is worshiping God for among other things, his power demonstrated in creation. It is, it is singing with other believers words like, oh Lord, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. I'll just tell you kind of a side note is if you need to kind of kickstart your wonder and your amazement, your fear of God, one of the best ways, and the Bible talks about this all the time, one of the best ways is to encounter God's creative power, to see what God has made. We, we, we sometimes get cut off in our modern technological culture from all of the things that God has done in his world, and sometimes we may need to get out and see it. Just yesterday, I was with my family. We went to Santa Cruz and we're at the beach and I was walking along the beach and there's just this ocean and it's so big. And I'm just reminded, you know, just seeing those simple scenes walking along the shore of the greatness of God and all that he has created. We, we encounter him that way, his power, and we fear him. But not everybody gets that. There was a recent interview with Rolling Stone magazine, a billionaire Bill Gates said this, the mystery and beauty of the universe is overwhelmingly amazing, and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. Now, when he said this, this comment surprised the reporter who then asked, so do you believe in God? Now, look at what Bill Gates said in response. I think it makes sense to believe in God. Now, get this, but exactly what decision you make differently in your life because of it, I don't know. I read that and I thought to myself, Billy, Billy, Billy. <laughs> Believing that God in his awesome power created the universe has no bearing on your life, on the decisions that you would make. Really? I mean, knowing the universe was created by the awesome, holy, omnipotent God celebrating his awesome holiness on a weekly basis with hundreds of other believers. For me, that sends me out into a dangerous world with confidence and certainty every week, knowing that this awesome God can and will protect me, that God has my back. It makes a huge difference in my life, not just to know it, but to celebrate it. Now that 
doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to me. The Bible never says this. You may want to write this down. I've learned this. The Bible teaches, some of you know it, that sometimes God doesn't protect us from dangers, but he protects us through them. Any of you learned that one yet? He doesn't save you from every storm. And there, there are many of you here, you could give testimony right now. You have been through some horrible storms in your life, maybe even recently. But if you know the blessing of God's protection, you know what it means for him to take you through that storm and save you through it. Fearing God gives us the blessing of his protection. There's a third blessing I want you to see. It's in Psalm 25. It's the blessing of God's guidance. Now, if you've turned over to Psalm 25, maybe you've scanned it pretty quickly. Maybe you've already noticed that this psalm has 22 verses. And this is an interesting fact because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And some of you are saying, okay. Well, the reason I pointed out is that Psalm 25 is one of nine psalms in the book of Psalms that are arranged according to an acrostic. And and what that means is this. If you were reading this Psalm in Hebrew, you would see that the first letter of the first word of the first verse is actually the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then when you go to verse two, that verse begins with a second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The third verse begins with a third letter and so on. And some of you are still saying, okay, so what difference does that make? Why does David do it like this? Well, Bible scholars say it may be for several reasons. We don't know for sure, but one reason is that it's kind of artistic, and this is poetry, and Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme the way our, our poetry does, and so it, it would show artistry and poetic skill to write it this way. Other scholars say that David, as he wrote this psalm about God's guidance, may have been communicating Uh, here is everything you need to know about God's guidance, like from A to Z. It's all right here in this psalm. Some scholars think David may just be arranging this psalm in a way that makes it easier to to memorize. So he's, he's giving us information about God's guidance, and he's put it and placed it in a way that we can, we can remember it. Well, whatever the reason is, let's jump right into the middle of Psalm 25 and see what David has to say about the blessing of God's guidance. I want to begin in verse 12. David writes, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. How many times in a week could you use guidance from God? I mean, you don't want to make a foolish decision. You, you want to be sure you don't stick your foot in a snare, you know, as verse 15 warns us against. Maybe you're deciding what college to apply to, or maybe you're trying to, to, to decide if you should keep your car with 100,000 miles or if this is the right time to trade it in. Maybe you're trying to figure out if this is the right time to put your mom in a nursing home. Or maybe you need to know what's the best way to approach a potential customer. Or, or maybe, maybe you're trying to figure out how to resolve a conflict with your spouse. Or maybe just what ministry God wants you to serve in here at Southwinds. There's just lots of decisions. And 
I heard someone say once that life is just one decision after another, and that's true. So would you like God to guide you? Then fear him, David says. Fear him. Verse 12 again says, those who fear the Lord, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose. Verse 14 says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. And once again, we ask, well, what does fearing God look like? This time uh, with respect to God's guidance. There are several ways that we can demonstrate a fear of God according to Psalm 25. Why don't you write these down? The first way is just to know God's word. See, we can't fear God unless we know what he says, unless we reverence and study God's word. And when David refers to God's word in Psalm 25, he doesn't call it the Bible like we do today. He talks about God's ways, God's paths, God's truth. Look at verses four and five. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. In verses eight and nine, he writes, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. God's way is recorded in God's word. This just means if you want to fear God and thus gain his guidance, you need to saturate your life with God's word. And there are just so many things that grow out of this. So many times as a pastor over 30 years now, I, I talk to people and I'm, I'm amazed as, as they try to grapple with life's challenges and life's problems that they've you know, been working with for years. And I, and I ask them questions and, and I find so many times that they've not spent any significant time reading God's word. They don't know what God's word has to say. They're, they're missing out on God's guidance for them. See, as you, as you learn God's word, you learn God's wisdom and God's wisdom gives you the ability to assess the choices that you're facing and, and to uh, better sense God's leadership and what you are to do. As you learn God's word, you have a better chance of evaluating the advice you get from other people. How, how many of you have friends and family, especially, that like to give you advice? You may not want to put your hands up in this next one. How many of you have friends and family who give you bad advice? See, some of you are saying, yeah. I mean, how do you know when advice is wise and helpful and when it's not? Well, God's word will, will tell you. As you learn God's word, you won't have to be a slave to your feelings. Some of you are enslaved to your feelings and you make a lot of bad decisions because of that. Know God's word, fear him, receive his guidance. Uh, if you learn God's word, you, you have a, a better way of uh, looking at your circumstances in the light of God's reality, truth, as he defines it. Know God's word. A second way we see to demonstrate that we're fearing God as we seek his guidance is we just confess sin regularly so that we can hear God. The Bible often tells us that Dealing with our sins is one of the ways we show fear for God. In Psalm 25, verses 6 and 7, David writes, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. So if you want God's guidance, part of that is making it a habit to confess your sin to God every day, to just be saying to God every day, maybe more than once a day, God, I want to walk in your ways. I want to be a righteous person so that I can hear you 
so I can receive your, your guidance. I heard someone say once that it's confession that takes the earwax out of our spiritual ears so we can hear God. And maybe if you feel like you're not hearing God's leadership, maybe possibly part of that is you need to deal with sin in your life. A third thing we learn about uh, the blessing of God's guidance and fearing him is we exercise patience as we wait for God's leading. Look at the closing line of verse five. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. David says to God, my hope is in you all day long. Uh, You you might want to circle hope and then uh, draw a line over to the margin and write the word wait, because the Hebrew words wait and hope are closely related. Some of you have a version where it's actually translated wait. You may want to do the opposite. Uh, When I pray about something, I wait for God's response. That's an evidence of my hope and trust in him. Have you ever been in a place where your attitude is kind of like I've been sometimes? You know, I prayed about it. I asked God to tell me what to do, and he hasn't seemed to respond, so I'm just going to do what seems best to me. Well, that's probably not fearing God, because fearing God will say, I prayed about this, and if it takes God a week, it takes God a month, or it takes a year to give me an answer, then I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to wait for his response. Kind of interesting, King David wrote this psalm. He had gone to school on his ex-boss, previous king who had gotten fired because of his impatience. King Saul had refused to wait on God. King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, you can look it up. It's in 1 Samuel 13. Shortly after Saul's inauguration as king, the prophet Samuel comes to Saul and says to him, God has some instructions for you. You are to take your army, you are to go to this town, and you are to wait there until God tells you what's going to happen next. And so Saul takes his army, he goes to this town, and he begins to wait. But he's not hearing from God. And one day uh, turns into another and another. And to make matters worse, he is hearing that a Philistine army is on the way to attack. And he doesn't know what to do. And his men are getting impatient. And some of the soldiers are starting to desert him. And so finally, in his impatience, you know, I got to do something. He makes a plan of his own. He offers sacrifices, which is a violation of God's clear will. And no sooner does he do this than the prophet Samuel shows up and he says to him, Saul, what do you think you're doing? And Saul says, well, I waited like you told me, but God didn't give me directions. So I thought I would do what's best. And Samuel says, God wanted you to wait longer. And Samuel says, if you had waited, Saul, you could have remained king, but now your kingship is going to be taken from you and given to a successor. And and that successor was David, who had learned the lesson of patient waiting. And out of that, he writes Psalm 25. So what does it mean to fear God in order to receive the blessing of his guidance? It means you soak your life in God's word so you learn his will. It means you confess your sin so that you can hear God speak to you. It means that you patiently wait for his guidance to come. Here's the fourth blessing, the final one we're going to look at today. This is the blessing of God's love. Now, I've kind of run out of time to really go into detail on this, but I want you to turn over to Psalm 103, which is one of the most amazing psalms out of the 150. And as you're turning there, I want to say something about God's love that some of you may have never understood before. And it's simply this. The Bible depicts different kinds 
of God's love. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me illustrate it this way. If I say, I love pizza, and I say, I love the people who attend the 930 service at Southwinds. Have I ever told you you're my favorite service? (laughs) Now, here's the question. Is that the same kind of love? No, of course not. I mean, you hope not, though I can be pretty shallow at times, and I do love pizza. Um, But no, what's the difference? Well, it's a love for a thing versus love for people. Well, let me make it harder. How do I say, I love the people at the 930 service at Southwinds, and I love my wife, Dana? Same kind of love? No. But now we're talking about people, both cases. Well, sure, but, but the people at the 930 service at Southwinds are my friends, except for maybe some Raider fans. I don't know. <laughs> They're my co-laborers in the gospel, Dana, you know, I I pledged my life to her over 30 years ago. We raised four children together. We've slept in the same bed for 30 years. We've been intimate with each other. She knows the darkest, deepest secrets of my heart. I know the secrets in her heart. When I say I love Dana, I'm saying something totally different. God has different kinds of love. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, says, for God so loved the world. You know, we read this verse, we know this is kind of a universal love that everyone gets, but you read the Bible carefully and you will see there's another kind of love that that, that Scripture says God reserves for those who fear him. There's a deeper, a richer love. If you'll fear God, then you'll experience that kind of love. If you don't fear God, then you're never going to know what it's like the blessing of God's love when we fear him. Let me read to you verses 11 through 18. And again, you may want to underline the word fear as it occurs here. The psalmist writes, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who, what? Fear him. How do we experience that love? Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion, that's another word for love, on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who, what? Fear him. him, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Now, how do we we show this fear? Verse 18 says, with those who keep his covenant, who remember to obey his precepts. See, God is talking about a blessing of love that he gives to those who fear him and that love that they have that they receive comes out of his response to their obedience, keeping of his covenant. So here's the big idea this morning, and I, I hope you will not leave without getting this. God has amazing blessings in store for your life. He has the blessing of his love. He wants you to know his love. 
He has the blessing of his guidance that he wants you to experience as you you navigate your life through this difficult world. He has the blessing of protection that he offers to you. He has the blessing of provision, providing for your needs. But you don't experience those blessings unless you fear him. So I just want to ask you today, are you living a life of fearing the Lord? Are you walking in obedience to his way? Are you learning how he wants you to live so that you can experience all his goodness, all his goodness that he has for his children, for those who fear his name. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Our Father God, we are so grateful to you for all of your goodness that you just pour out on us. Uh, Lord, we again confess that we know we don't deserve anything that you've given us. It's all out of your grace, your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for your greatness that leads us to uh, fear you in, in wonder and awe. And that reminds us that we owe our very existence to you. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us each in our own particular circumstances to know how you would have us apply your word today, Father. Uh, open our ears, our spiritual hearts to hear and receive what you would tell us and give us strength, Father, to obey, to take what we've learned and to put it into practice in our lives today, tomorrow, out into the future. Father, I want to pray uh, especially today for anyone who might be here and maybe, God, they've come into this place and they're wondering about who you are and they're trying to understand what this Christianity thing is about. They, they're really not sure if they're wondering, they're searching. And would you open their hearts, Father, I pray. Would you help them to see how good you are? Would you help them to understand that you love them so much that you've sent your own son, Jesus, and he's died on the cross to take the penalty of sin that every one of us deserves. And Lord, help them to understand that because of that, if they will turn from their sins and repentance and if they will turn to you and trust, trusting what Jesus did on the cross, that you will save them and they will know your amazing grace. Lord, do a work uh, even today in hearts across this room. Grant repentance, grant faith. Make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, Father. We pray all these things in his name, the, the name above all names. And all of God's people say, amen.